north of us here. Uh, Greenland, I think I saw that they had lost a billion and a half or 1.1 billion. Uh, I, I don't remember now whether they put it cubic feet or uh, how they expressed it, but 1. billion, whatever it was, of ice has melted there just recently. And they're saying that this heat wave that is in Europe now is going to move northwest and go up into Greenland and the Arctic Circle. So even more melting and so on is apparently going to occur. Uh, you remember Mount St. Helens blowing its lid completely off in 1980. Uh, there are swarms of earthquakes going off right now uh, at Mount St. Helens again. And even Mount Hood, just east of Portland, is beginning to wake up and have uh, many earthquakes on a fairly regular basis starting this week, I guess. Or at least that's when it got started getting uh, reported. So it seems that the crust of the earth is waking up. Around the Pacific Ring of Fire especially, they've had a, they had a six-point-something earthquake, uh, I think, yesterday again in Indonesia. And the volcanoes down there are blowing again. So it just appears that it's livening up very rapidly. It's still uh, shaking there in uh, Los Angeles as well. They're saying that they could have an outbreak of bubonic plague in L.A., uh, which killed millions and millions of people in Europe uh, three or four hundred years ago, or whenever it was. The rat population has increased so greatly in L.A. that they're thinking of taking this, the carpets all out of City Hall in Los Angeles because the rats are running free. And they've had uh, uh, insect uh, and predator control people have said there's been a 68% increase in calls on rats in the last year. Uh, the, the city is being overrun with them. They carry typhus, which can make you very, very ill. And if bubonic plague breaks out, uh, that could kill untold numbers of people. And they're fearing that that is about to happen. Part of it is because the city just simply is not keeping up with uh, getting rid of waste. It's piling up in downtown L.A. where the homeless are and they're just letting it remain there. And of course that breeds rats and they're having the same problem in New York and other places where suddenly it seems they're on an incredible increase. They say that two healthy rats in what is it three years can produce 2.4 million rats. They breed that rapidly if, if left unchecked. So, are things getting bad or not? <laughs> is, is this upon us? I think we need to be watching the leaves on the trees is the reason I am reiterating this and just kind of giving a little update. I said some of the same things last week, sort of, uh, but it's continued. It's not a one-off deal and done. It is increasing and getting worse day by day. So it would appear that we are certainly in this area uh, that he's talking about here in Matthew 24. Now, he said that is the beginning of sorrows. That's what sets this whole thing off. There's far more sorrow to come, but 
the wars, the pestilences, the famines uh, set it off. Now, the, of course, the crops are still in serious trouble in the Midwest, uh, and that could lead to famine and then pestilence as well, uh, and that's true around the world. Now it says in verse 9, and I want to emphasize this some and show you some scriptures. Then, when these beginning of sorrows gets going, shall they deliver you up to be afflicted. Now who's the you here? That would be the apostles he was addressing. There was no one else there but his own disciples when this was given. They came to him apart from the multitudes and ask him about the end of the age and when would these things happen. So he's talking to them. They shall deliver you up to be afflicted, persecuted, afflicted, treated badly, and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. So he's speaking here of Christians, uh, specifically true Christians, and I think that included in that is anybody who uses the name Christian. Because we have seen a very dramatic uptick in the number of people who claim Christianity is being killed in various countries, Arabic countries, uh, African countries, and now the pressure is being ramped up very greatly in Britain and all of Europe as well as here in the United States of America. We have a congresswoman who is a Muslim from Somalia and not too long ago made the comment about something going on back home in Somalia. She doesn't consider America her home, even though she sits in our Congress. And she recently said, I think maybe it was yesterday or the day before, that white men are the enemy. This is a congressman in the U.S. Congress who said white men are the enemy. It isn't the Muslims who've come here who are raping and killing and mugging, but white men. Now, when you have U.S. Congress people saying things like that, things are getting pretty dire. I think I quoted last week about you can raise the American flag in some cases and you'll be expelled from school. You raise a Muslim flag and everybody cheers and prays. Uh, I'm saying that off the top of my head, but that's essentially the picture that is being drawn that we can gather from things happening in the news. As Muslims and Mexicans and Guatemalans and Africans flood across the southern border by the tens of thousands every week. And nothing is being done about it. So, looking at that picture, we see he says they will deliver you up to be killed, and you shall be hated of all and all nations for my name's sake. Now, some might think this is talking about the Great Tribulation. This is before that. I'll show you that. Then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. Now this is in the church. And it will also apply to greater Christianity using the same 
measure that we use in the Old Testament to understand the prophecies. That these things, all of them, all the prophecies, come first on the church, then on the nation. So, this is also a prophecy here. So the things that happen here are going to happen both in the nation and in the church. Now, in this case, it appears to have started happening already within the nation. Now, we have already had terrible persecution, spiritual famine, and pestilence in the church, which leaves us where we are today, with little groups here and there scattered around. Uh, so, in an overall sense, this has already occurred. But the actual killing of Christians, who knows? Uh, I mean, it's already being done around the world. Not so much here, uh, but it is happening here and there with church attacks and uh, gunmen going in and shooting so-called Christians. Uh, how that will happen within the church, I'm not exactly sure, but Christ is addressing the, uh, the disciples here and says they shall kill you, uh, not just professing Christians. And I think that he's talking about church people betraying one another and hating each other. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. There are a lot of false prophets in the world who have arisen and appointed themselves. Who is that uh, evangelical? I can't think of his name. I think he's down in Texas somewhere. Uh, Jeff's? Jeff's? Oh, I can't say his name. doesn't matter. Uh, but he's come out for the Muslims. Probably the biggest evangelistic preacher there is out there right now. You might, you heard his name, you'd know it. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Now that's within the church. People who are not tapped in carefully to what God is doing, how he's doing it, where he's doing it, they're sort of on their own as independent Christians as some try to be because they don't trust anybody anywhere, anyhow, anyway and they begin to drift away slowly or quickly and first thing you know uh, sin increases because they don't pay as much attention to the Sabbath they don't pay as much attention to their lives and what is going on in their lives and they begin to let things slip because that's human nature and if we don't have togetherness to be with one another and to iron sharpen iron, we begin to drift. That's why Paul said in the book of Hebrews that we should not forsake the fellowship or meeting together and so much the more as the time draws near. We're going to need more support, more help from one another as the time draws near and these things begin to happen in deadly earnest, we need each other. We can't just be independent. You may think you can, but you can't. Because that's what the scripture says. That no man is an island. We need each other. And so much the more as the day draws near. So... Whoever you are, wherever you are, you had better find some people of like mind that you can fellowship with and be with 
and not think you can be an independent Christian. The whole Bible is against that. It doesn't work. I've seen people try it. I've been in that position myself, and I've experienced it. So I know what I'm talking about, and above that, God knows what he's talking about. What my experience is may not mean anything to some people, but the scriptures better mean something. And they corroborate it and mention it, talk about it, and warn us against it. So sin is going to increase, and then he says that those who endure to the end are the ones who will be saved. Not those who give up, who quit, who, for whatever reasons, decide they have their own agenda. Uh, You've got to endure in strength without being bitter, without getting turned off, without uh, letting it slip. But enduring in patient, faithful endurance. Now, Let's look at some scriptures a little bit here. I want to go back to uh, Revelation 6 to start with. We have often uh, equated Revelation 6 with uh, Matthew 24 because it does appear that there's a connection between these seals in Revelation 6 and the things that Christ said there to his disciples in Matthew 24. But where are we with all this? He says, And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come see. So, these are the four beasts apparently that are before God's throne. Uh, If you go back up to chapter 5, verse 13, 14, and so on. So these seals, these sealed messages, were to be opened. Uh, And it wasn't a quiet thing, but something that created uh, an issue. You might have a nice, clear day, and then clouds begin to grow, to come up, and then you hear thunder, and you see lightning, and... Oh, that gets your attention because here was a nice quiet day and now there's a tremendous clap of thunder. So he says it's going to be starting something that will catch your attention, something that will be noticed, something loud that will create confusion. Let's see that here. And I saw and behold a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow That's an instrument of war, bow and arrow. And a crown was given to him. So here is someone who is in a high position, who has a crown. That would mean a head of state, if you will, or somebody who is maybe not worthy of, but in a position to be crowned, at least. Uh, So he has capacity to make war and a a crown. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. So here is someone who has warlike capacity, who is in a position of great authority, if you will, the crown, and goes forth to conquer and to conquer. Now, before we move further here, let's skip down 
to verse 11. Here's the fifth seal, or verse 9. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. So they were slain because of God's word and because of the testimony which they would be able to use to corroborate God's word. Okay? These have to be people who understand the word and care about the truth and who have the truth. There are a lot of people in religion out there who don't have the truth. So this has to be the true people of God, at least included, who are being killed. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, do you not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Now, we can imagine that this might go all the way back to righteous Abel. It could go all the way back to people who were martyred and through the Old Testament, uh, the apostles themselves who were killed. But this is an end-time prophecy, remember. These are the seven seals that uh, end with the return of Christ. So there has been some of this kind of activity going on, and people who are true to God have indeed been killed throughout the ages. But I don't think that is what he is specifically talking about here. He seems to be talking about the end time when people will be killed who have the truth and the testimony. That would include you and me and others around the world who have been called and brought into God's church. And white robes were given to them, every one of them, and it was said to them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were, should be fulfilled. So that verse seems to indicate that this may go back in time, but those who have been killed in the past are waiting until those here in the end time should also be killed. Now I refer you to Hebrews 11 there, where it gives account of many, many righteous people from the Old Testament and it says that these will not be given their reward until they have it with us. In other words, they're waiting in the ground until you and I can be either raised or changed with them. So he kind of does the same thing here about those from the past, but we're focusing on those here at the end. Those who are already dead don't have any problems. They've already been killed they're awaiting the resurrection when they will be given their white robes. We are trying to don our don or put on our white goat robes now so that we can be righteous and holy and fit to be with them. We're still under those are all done. Their trials, their troubles, their temptations, facing martyrdom, being killed is done. What is happening now? is you and me. It isn't anything in the future. It's us. Because the temple has to be built. All these events have to come to pass while there are still old men who have been called who can see the latter temple and compare it to the former temple at its best.
We are fast dying out. Very rapidly. Most who have been able to make that comparison are today in their 70s and 80s. Maybe a few in their 60s, but not very many. It's been too long. I think the 60s were the zenith or the peak of worldwide. That's been 40, that's been 60 years ago. So anybody who saw that as an adult of age 20 is 80. So this thing's getting very, very near, is it not? Those are straight statements that can't be misinterpreted by God there in Haggai and in Ezra. So this is talking about those who are already lying there waiting to be resurrected and the brethren from today on who are to be killed in the name of Christ because of the word of God and their testimony. I ask a question here going back to verse 2. Has the first seal already been opened? Look around the world today. And as you do, let me remind you that in Revelation 17 and 18, uh, I believe we have proved incontrovertibly that America is the present leader of Babylon. God himself calls her the great whore in Ezekiel 16. So you bring that end time prophecy forward to Revelation 17 and 18. And who is the great whore today? It's Israel, led by its firstborn Ephraim, who has to be the epitome of Babylon. Now, here this one sits on a white horse. White horse appears to be righteousness. Just as we have claimed to be a Christian nation. For the most part, we don't anymore. The majority of Americans now do not claim to be Christian. We've, we've gone over that threshold. So here's someone who has a crown and has power and ability to conquer and is. I submit to you that the white horse, verse 2, is more than likely the United States of America today. Because we are in this time of Matthew 24 that famines and pestilences and earthquakes and volcanoes are happening more and more around the world. The whole crust of the earth is awakening and beginning to shake and rattle and roll like a bowl of jello. And it's going to get worse and worse by the week and month. We wear the crown of the greatest military power on earth. And we are the only nation on earth today, here in the end time, who is going forth to conquer and doing so. Can anybody name another one that's doing that? Is Great Britain? Is China? Who has China attacked in the last 40 years? Japan? Germany? Who's Germany attacked in the last, well, since 1941 or 39? Nobody. 
I never really thought about that, but isolating it that way, this is the only country on earth that is going around the world attacking and conquering anybody we want to. Now, there are other conflicts going on. I'm not saying there aren't, because the Arabs are fighting among themselves, the Somalians and Yemen and Saudi Arabia and so on. But Matthew 24 allows for that when it says there will be wars and rumors of wars going on worldwide. So we do have that. But if you look at a someone who has the power, the crown, and is going out and conquering aggressively, I can name no other nation than this one. Sorry, but I can't. And this is going on. Now, in Revelation 18, that's referring to Babylon, she says, I sit a queen. I think that's repeated in Isaiah 47 or 48 as well. I sit a queen, and nothing is going to deter me. Nothing will come against me. Um, Let me turn back there. Verse 7 of Revelation 18. How much she has glorified herself and lived deliciously. We're the most, uh, the highest standard of living people on the earth. Now that's beginning to diminish and some are overtaking us, but that has been the case here the last hundred years. And certainly glorified ourselves as the one who's going to stomp the rear end of any other country who gets in our way. Because we are great. For she says in her heart, I sit a queen and am no widow and shall see no sorrow. That's been our attitude. We are the strongest, the best, the biggest, the finest on earth. And nobody's going to fight a war here. We've bragged about how no foreign enemy has ever come in and invaded America. Uh, at least not recently. Uh, The British came in and tried to uh, stifle the colony. The Mexicans tried to come in and were repelled. But you didn't see World War I or World War II or the Vietnam War or any of these other wars that we have started and fought done here. Iraq, uh, Syria, Libya, go on and on. We've done it to somebody else. Hasn't been done here. No sorrow's going to come to us, we've said. I think you can put a small question mark, maybe, on verse 2 of chapter 6 of Revelation. I don't think it's a big question mark. Here in the end time, we have the power of the bow, or the military, we have the crown as the only remaining superpower on earth. We've been crowned that. Russia is not a remaining superpower. Germany is not even a power. We're it. So we have that title. And we are the ones doing the conquering. Now when it opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, red depicting blood. Now this other one's been conquering 
went out to conquer and did so. But here you have another seal, and this horse is red, and power was to give, given to him uh, that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. <coughs> so here a power is given more than a bow, an ability to go perhaps round the world and take peace from the earth. Now, America has not gone that far thus far. We have taken peace from one nation here and another nation there and have done a lot of conquering. But we have not taken peace from the earth. So what comes after us is going to have the capacity to do that. And the red means an awful lot of blood. In other words, world war. America has not created world war. We have only done regional conflicts with regional people that we've defeated for our own purposes, which are oil and gold and commerce. That's why we've done it. But this one is going to take peace from the earth, and how would you term that other than world war? Peace is gone, war is everywhere, blood is everywhere, that's world war we're talking about here in, in uh, the second seal. A great sword. So that follows. Now we can go to Revelation 17 and 18, and I will here in a little bit. Uh, maybe we should just go ahead and do that since we're here in this context. <clears throat> go to Revelation 17. And here he says... I will show you, in verse 1, the judgment of the great whore that sits upon many waters. So what we're here to see is the judgment of the whore. God has called Israel, and particularly Ephraim, his firstborn, the great whore. So this is talking about the U.S. of A. and the other nations of Israel in particular. With whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. We are the ones who have been in charge of the world currency for the last hundred years. Prior to America having uh, dominance in world money, uh, Britain did, and Spain did, but each of those have lasted for a while over a hundred years roughly speaking and we started in 2013 when the Federal Reserve which is not federal but is a private banking consortium was formed and the US dollar became the reserve currency now it's been a little over a hundred years 2013 to 19 106 years since that occurred and we have held dominance total dominance over all trade that has occurred in the world they have to settle all trades with U.S. dollars through the Bank of International Settlements in Switzerland. Every time somebody imports or exports anything worldwide, it has to be done in U.S. dollars. Now that gives us a tremendous advantage that our dollars are wanted by everyone everywhere. And now we see big cracks in that 
whereby Russia and India and Iran and others are trying to trade by bypassing dollars. We don't want your dollars anymore. Gaddafi tried it and is dead. Saddam Hussein tried it and he is dead. Uh, Iran is trying to do it now and they're about to die soon. Very soon. This has continued through quite a few countries here and there. We're trying desperately to hang on to the dollar as the important currency of the world. But huge cracks are appearing, and some of those cracks are in areas that are too big for us to just attack and defeat, like we did Libya or Iraq. It's happening in Russia and China, in places we're afraid to go. So here is the, the one who sat on many waters, many people, and I use the reserve currency of the dollar as an example of that, because it is through her fornication with the other nations of the world, we're talking about not physical fornication here, but political and geopolitical and military fornication. So it says, He carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. So he addresses here the judgment of us. And then he says, I went out into the wilderness. It wasn't in the public eye yet. Something that could not quite be seen yet. It was hidden away in the wilderness, okay? It wasn't in New York. It wasn't in Paris. It wasn't in Moscow. It was somewhere out there in a place that isn't known, a wilderness. We've been wondering, when is the beast going to appear? <laughs> uh, we see this new world order thing increasing, and it's becoming apparent more and more day by day and week by week, but it hasn't hit the world stage on the main stage yet where everybody can see. So I think John is showing here that this thing is going to form not in the public eye. Now that's where America has been, sitting upon many waters, many peoples. But this isn't with many waters or peoples. This is kind of out away from everything. And he saw this woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast. Now that indicates blood, war. Isn't that what we just read about the second seal? Full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Now this is apparently a different whore. We have a great whore here who is being judged, and he says, I'm going to show you that judgment. Then here is this one in the wilderness, unknown, perhaps. And she had a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead was the name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Now, wait a minute. I'm getting ahead of myself. This is still talking about us, this great whore that is here today. Uh, 
and her judgment. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints. This is what I really want to get to. And with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. Now, this woman is drunk with the blood of the saints. We're the saints. Didn't he say, Matthew 24, we just read, that they would kill God's people, some of them. Here, it says this woman is drunk with the blood of the saints. So she's killed some of the saints, obviously. Now that means to me that before this thing gets much worse, a great persecution is going to begin to occur, and they're going to try to kill the people of God. And along with that, anyone who says they are a Christian in this nation and in Europe, white people, if you will, and any of any other color who claim to be Christian. And there are many Christians, true Christians in the Church of God, who are of various races as well. So the one congressman says white men are the enemy, but it's, it's bigger than that. It's anyone who professes to be a Christian, and we shall find specifically those who have the truth and the testimony of the Word of God. They will be greater targets. Well, that should make sense, shouldn't it? Satan goes to God's throne continually and accuses who? The true saints. They're the only ones who are of a threat of any kind to him. The rest he has in his hip pocket. So he goes to God and accuses you and me. That's why when we accuse each other, we are being satanic because he is the accuser of the brethren. And if you're an accuser of the brethren, then you're satanic. And he is your father, not God. So we had better be very, very careful who we accuse. And of what? That's what Satan does. That's his job, not yours and mine. I don't know how many times I've said that, but it still applies. So they're going to come after anybody who professes Christianity, and they are going to be killed. Now, bear in mind, in Matthew 24, this is before... The tribulation. This is before the gospel is preached around the world as a witness. I'm going to thumb back there. Hold your place here. I'm going to thumb back there, and we'll see that. I'm in Luke. That won't work. Uh, Matthew 24. The beginning of sorrows. And then they start delivering people up to kill them. And then people are going to get selfish and narcissistic. And they'll start turning in each other in order to try to cover for themselves. Because they'll betray one another and hate one another and turn each other in. And the love of many will wax cold because of the sin that's involved. Then it says the gospel will be preached around the world and then will the end come. And he says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whoso reads, let him understand, then is the time to flee. The, flee, the time to flee has not come yet. And it makes it very clear in Daniel 9 that 
when that abomination is set up, that is the time to flee before the abomination. So that means the temple has to be built and the holy place established and then it is defiled and that is the time to flee. And Christ specifically refers us back to Daniel to make that point. So what we're reading about here in these verses prior to this is about things that happen prior to this. And even then during. Now the during is indicated by the fact that you had better flee and not go back to take your clothes or anything. Don't go back to the house. Flee for all your worth when you see that abomination set up in the temple of God. Second Thessalonians tells us very clearly that the abomination will be set up in the temple of God. We're not talking about a Jewish edifice in a false Jerusalem. We're talking about the temple of God in the true Jerusalem. And when you see that, you flee to the mountains, which are right there beside it. And why do you not go back in the house? Why do you flee so quickly? Because they're going to be coming after you. And Revelation 12 makes it very clear that when Satan is cast down, that he's going to come after the church. Those that have the testimony of Christ. I'll go back and review that right quick. Satan is here, uh, and he's dealing with Israel, chapter 12 of Revelation. A woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. And it was to her, to the church, to true Israel, that Christ is born lives in us, is born in us. He's conceived in our minds in that sense as a child, and we have a new life, and that has to grow. His spirit, his strength has to grow in us. So, Satan draws a third of the angels, and what's his purpose? End of verse 4 stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Now we can go back to Isaiah 7 and tie this in with unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And uh, he says there in Isaiah 7 that he will not be old enough to really understand until all these things come upon us and the Assyrian come among us and destroy our nation. So, this is at the time when we are in great anticipation of Christ being born in us, or us being born in Christ. But he speaks of it in several places of Christ, or of the church delivering Christ. In other words, where else is Christ going to appear than with the woman? That's where she appears, and Satan is ready to devour her. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. That can only be Christ that she's bringing forth. Where else is he going to be brought forth? Nowhere else. And her child was caught up to God into his throne. So this can refer back to his physical time on earth. Uh, but we'll see here it's an end-time prophecy. 
So it may have started there, but the main and the bulk of it and the major fulfillment of it is here at the end. The woman fled into the wilderness. Well, when? When you see the abomination set up in the temple, Daniel 9 and Matthew 24, is when that occurs. To a place prepared of God. You go all through uh, the book of Psalms and you'll see that Zion is the place of refuge prepared by God. So Jerusalem will be near Zion and you'll be able to flee on foot from Jerusalem to Zion in the mountains of Judea to be protected there for 1,203 score days. So 1,260 days she is protected in Zion. And there was war in heaven. And Satan lost and was cast down, and he will never again be allowed there. Verse 8. So when he was cast down, that that devil who deceives the whole world, uh, his angels cast out with him. And it says, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. And the accuser of the brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. So this is talking about the time of the end when the church flees, when the abomination is set up. That is when Satan is cast down for the last time. Right there now, day and night, he's accusing you and me. Now, if he's cast down and won't be allowed to go back, who is he going to go after? The ones he's been accusing. The ones he hates. The ones who are foremost in his mind to destroy will be who he goes against. He doesn't care about the Buddhists. He doesn't care about the Presbyterians. He cares for those who have the testimony and the word of God that we read about in Revelation 6. Those are the ones he is coming after. Make no mistake. You and I, and those who are part of God's church, truly, are the ones he wants. And he hates light and loves darkness. And the light that you might have through the Spirit of God in you, others may not see too well as humans, but any, any of the light of God that is in you, he can see. Now, I've flown many places on the earth. I haven't been to outer space. But I've flown many places on earth, and a lot of it at night. And you know, I can look down from an airplane, and I can spot where cities are pretty easily because there's a lot of lights there. And you know what else? I can identify many of those cities from the air because I have a pretty good concept of a world map. And if you can see the coastline and you can see the city, it's not too hard to pick out Rio de Janeiro. It's not too hard to pick out... uh, I can't say it, the capital of Venezuela. It's not too hard flying over Africa to see where Johannesburg or then Cape Town are, or the coast of Australia, where the major cities are. In other words, you can see light in a lot of places. And then, where there's more light, 
You can even identify places from the air in the dark. I can fly across America in the dark and identify most any place I see. I mean, a big place. And some of the small ones around it because I know what they are. Now, do you think that Satan, who lives in total darkness, cannot see any light? And the more light he sees, the more he hates it. He can identify us very, very easily. And he watches us, and his demons watch us, day in and day out, and go to God every day and night to accuse you and me. That's what they are involved in. That's their biggest chore, their biggest, um, well, the words leave me, their biggest focus maybe would be good. Now, Satan is also involved with the New World Order and his kingdom that he is quickly setting up here on the earth. He's very much involved in it, but his main concern above even that is us because he can manipulate those other guys out there very easily and does. He's the prince of the power of the air. He can manipulate the weather. He sent a tornado and killed Job's kids. He can do those things. And he has taught men how to manipulate the weather. And some of these terrible things we see happening today are not just nature. They're Satan and men, taught by Satan, who are manipulating the weather and causing all kinds of things to go on that has never happened. There's no precedent for. Have you ever heard of forest fires in Siberia and Alaska and northern Canada before? I haven't. Well, maybe tundra fires more. There's not much forest. Well, well, even in the mountains of Siberia and Alaska, you're within the Arctic Circle and you still have mountains and trees. But wildfires in any case. Things are just topsy-turvy and going nuts. Anyway, reading on down here in Revelation 12. <clears throat> they were cast down, and I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God. So this is the very end time that it's talking about. When the kingdom of God is about to be brought. 1260 days, they're protected during this process. doesn't mean the kingdom of God comes that day, but it's getting very near, 1260 days later. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them day and night, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Now that sounds an awful like what we read there in Revelation 6, isn't it? about the fifth seal and the martyrdom of saints and the blood will cry out and people with the word of God and their testimony we read about that there in Revelation 6 talking about the same thing here and they're willing to die love not their lives to the death they're willing to die for the truth and the word of God and the testimony which they believe in. 
Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath, because he knows he has but a short time. Now if you go back there to Revelation 6, we read about the one with the bow and the conquering, who would go and conquer, and then you see the one who takes peace from and makes war, world war. Well, that's what Satan is going to do. Great wrath, knowing he has but a short time. Now, this is right after the flight. This is as the great tribulation begins. See, you, you, you flee to safety when you see the abomination set up. Then begins the 1260 days, or three and a half years, or 42 months, the times of the Gentiles. When, which Israel will be being destroyed, or will have already been destroyed, basically, but be in captivity, and they will rule the earth, the Gentile nations, for 42 months. And when the dragon saw that he was cast to the earth, what was the first thing he did? He persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child, And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, that's Zion, where she is nourished for three and a half years, and kept from the face of the servant. Now there's why Christ tells you in Matthew 24, pray that you be accounted worthy to escape these things. Because when that abomination is set, you flee to the mountains, to the place of refuge, which is Zion, and there you will be protected if you're accounted worthy. If you don't believe the word of God and you turn back to your house to let the dog out or to get some clothes or whatever, you'll be caught and you will be killed. It will be that dangerous. Now, does that sound like she's given the wings of a great eagle? to fly into her place where she's nourished? Yes. Christ is a great eagle. He is the one who will protect. He is the one that will help get her there. But that doesn't mean on a physical level we're not in great danger. And if we don't pay attention to Him, and if we turn back for anything, we'll be lost. We'll die. So he's there to help us if we are responding to him and have been accounted worthy to escape. Now I submit, if you have not been accounted worthy to escape, even though you may not go back to your house and you flee, you're probably going to fall and break your leg because you've not been accounted worthy to escape. So it is the worthiness that Christ puts on us that causes that great eagle to see that those who are faithful get there and the ones who are not, don't. It's that simple. Let's go on here a little bit more. She was given... Capacity, ability, help, protection to fly to her place where she's protected. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood. 
that is an army, after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. So he's going to send an army after her and try to kill her. That's why you're in such a hurry to get away. The army is coming. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened up her mouth and swallowed up the army, which the dragon cast out of his mouth. So you're under extreme danger, and if you flee immediately, and you're counted worthy, then you're going to be just ahead of the earthquake that opens up the ground and swallows up Satan's army. And then you can continue on through the mountains to Zion in peace after being taken out of danger. And the dragon was angry with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So some are going to be accounted worthy to escape and taken to Zion. Others are not and will be left behind. Now, that division also comes when God stirs up 10% of his people, those who have been called and part of the church, to come and build a temple and 90% are left behind. So there's one division when those who are stirred come to do God's work, the other 90% are left behind in the world. And then, out of that 10% who come to build the temple, there is another separation when it's time to flee to the place of safety from the true Jerusalem when the abomination is set up. And some may turn back or think, oh, this isn't it, or whatever, and not be accounted worthy to escape, and will be killed by this army that Satan sends. Now, he turns his attention, when those get away and flee to Zion, and his army swallowed up, then he turns his attention to that 90% who were left behind in the first place, and then those, if any survived, who probably were killed when the time came to flee to safety. They probably would, would not exist by this point, because that army would have swallowed them up before they got swallowed up. So who he's turning to here is the remnant of her seed, that 90% that were left behind when those were called to come and build a temple. They are not Methodists and Baptists. They're ones who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Christ. And there are very, very few religions today who will tell you that the commandments of God are in effect. So it's not talking about Protestants and Catholics. It's talking about true people who did not overcome Laodicea and are left behind to be martyred. And as Zechariah says, about a third of them are going to repent before they die in the tribulation. Now, let's go back to the book of Revelation uh, and chapter 17 here now. It's talking about this great whore, which is America, and all Israel led by America, because Ezekiel's 
was on his side for all the nations of Israel 390 days and for Judah 40 days a day is as a year uh, so all the tribes of Israel are included here we are simply the leader of the Babylonian system and make no mistake the rest of Israel is also following Babylon the Brits are the French are uh, the Germans are the Danes are the Irish are they're not following God they're part of Babylon we're just the le- present leader of Babylon and the angel said to me wherefore did you marvel I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her which has the seven heads and ten horns so here you have two aspects of Babylon remember it says twice Babylon is fallen is fallen We are the current and present leader of Babylon, and we are the leader of the beast system which is developing, the New World Order. Washington and New York, the bankers there, the politicians there, are part of this beast in the wilderness that is being formed. And I guess, yeah, I was correct there when I said, I was kind of mixing it up. We're the current leader of Babylon. And there is another leader of Babylon, which is currently being formed, but we are still sitting atop it. Okay? It says this scarlet-colored woman rides the beast. So our politicians and our bankers are part of it. Jeremiah 50 and 51 tell us that our leaders will shake the hand of those who are forming this and betray us from within. And that's what our presidents, Republican and Democratic, have been doing essentially since uh, Franklin Roosevelt, who was quite a communist. And they've all been a part of this ever since. Now, there's been once in a while one has tried to go against some part of it as it has developed and they didn't live long. Lincoln, uh, Jack Kennedy, his brother, and so on. They even tried to kill Reagan. Uh, he wasn't fully part of it. But George H.W. Bush talked about the thousand points of light, the Illuminati. Uh, more and more have come out with it over the last 30, 40 years. So it's pretty well established. David Rockefeller says, yes, we're part of a group that's trying to rule the world. So it has been our prominent people who have been helping push this and prepare it and who are today allowing Chinese and Russian troops in this country. They're here now. I've seen some of them here and there. My son says he sees them all the time in Colorado Springs because that's one of our major military areas. And perhaps underneath Denver International Airport is a hiding place for many of those who, uh, the elites, who will try to rule the world from underground bunkers around Colorado Springs. So there are already Chinese and Russians around. So this woman is drunk with the blood of the saints... So this great whore has been killing church people. 
And she's still around. She's still riding the beast at this point. And the angel said to me, Wherefore did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and ten horns. And then he goes on down and describes this beast that she is riding. I don't want to get into that right now, but a description of it. And talks about how the ten horns are ten kings, and they'll get power uh, one hour for a short time with the beast. Verse 12. Well, we've already been shown that's 42 months in which the beast uh, will be the, uh, the times of the Gentiles. That's mentioned in Revelation 11. So they receive power, and they have one mind and give their power and strength to the beast. These will stick around and make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them. So this beast power then will stick around till Christ returns after 42 months, three and a half years, or 1260 days. For he is Lord of Lord and King of Kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. So what he's talking about is Christ will return at the end of the three and a half years or 42 months of the Gentile kingdom's ruling, And who's coming with him? All the saints. They will have been resurrected at the end of that three and a half years, or 1260 days. And he will overcome them. And those who are called and chosen and faithful will be with him. They'll be immortal then. They'll be coming back with him. And he said to me, The waters which you saw where the horse sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. So here it's very clear that waters in the Bible are symbolic of people. sits upon many waters. So it explains that. And the ten horns which you saw upon the beast, this is an amalgamation of ten great powers, these shall hate the whore and shall make her desolate, and naked, and shall eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. For God has put in their hearts to fulfill his will, and to agree and give their kingdom to the beast, until the words of God shall be fulfilled. Now who is this great whore, or this woman that is riding the beast? She, the one you saw, is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. That can only be America today. There is no other nation that you can say reigns over the kings of the earth. We destroy whenever and whoever we decide to destroy. And I have no doubt, really, that we could destroy Russia and China at this point if we did a preemptive attack and unleashed hydrogen bombs on them. But no, that's not what is happening. See, we're the ones who are today in charge. That great whore of Ezekiel 16 and Revelation 17 and 18. And these ten powers are going to hate her and kill her. Which means America (coughs) is going to be destroyed. And that fits all the prophecies about Israel going into famine and pestilence and war and captivity. It all ties together very, very beautifully. America has had it. 
And while we are allowing this beast in the wilderness to form and helping form it and riding on it, it will turn on us and kill us. Now the analogy here is of a great whore committing fornication. So the riding here is not like a bull or something with the woman sitting on it riding a bull or a horse. This is a sexual connotation. She's sitting on top of the beast and controlling this whole situation. That's what a great whore does. So that's what he's talking about. Kind of crude maybe, but that's the way God talks. And that's the analogy he uses. So, chapter 18 then goes into more detail about this. But I, and I'm out of time. Uh, Well, let me go back. Let me take just a little more here and go back to Daniel 11. Don't have time to go through the whole thing, but... But we referred to Daniel several times. And here in Daniel 11, it's talking about the king of the north and the king of the south. And truly, I believe we are today the king of the north. We're that northern country who rules over the kings of the earth and is carrying the bow and has the crown as the superpower. And who is pushing at us? The king of the south. That would be the Muslim world, all billion plus of them. They're pushing at Israel. They're not pushing at China. They're not pushing at Russia. They're not pushing at anyone but Israel. As one of their congresswomen said of the U.S. Congress, white man is the enemy. The whole Muslim world calls us the great Satan. And that we must be destroyed. So the increasing pressure in this nation is occurring because our leaders are allowing those people to come in and set up terror cells. And when we are attacked, that will be unleashed across the country. That is what is happening. So if you look at reality today of who's pushing who, it's America pushing against Iran It's America pushing against whoever in the world we want to. But even at the same time, we're allowing, creating ISIS and allowing Muslims to come into the country. On the surface, we appear to hate them and want to destroy them, like attacking Iran. I mean, Iraq and Syria and so on. Iran is next. So we're doing two things at once. We're accepting them and setting them up to help take us over, at the same time we're fighting them and destroying them if they try to take down the dollar. Now that's because the elites, financially, want to control all wealth in the world. And they're using America to try to maintain and gain control over everything. So they're double agents in New York and Washington, is what they are. So I think Daniel 11, at least at the beginning, and perhaps somewhat through it, is first talking about the northern country who has the power that is being pushed against by the Muslims. Now this goes all the way back 
to Isaac and Ishmael, the sons of Sarah and the son of Hagar. It's never stopped. Still goes on, same as it does with Edom and Esau against the Jews, or against Jacob. It's the same old battle that's been going on for thousands of years. So why wouldn't it fit? Because we're at the end time. This isn't something a hundred years from now we're talking about. This is talking about now, just before the temple is built, just before Jerusalem is built, and before the abomination is set up, and the three and a half years starts. We're right before that. We're on the cusp of it. And therefore, the things that it's talking about have to be right now. So look, not at some theories here and there, but look at the reality of what is going on right now. Who is pushing who? The Muslims are pushing hard into Europe. They're starting to push harder into America. That's what's going on. That's what reality is. So that makes the Muslim world, the sons of Hagar, the Ishmaelites, the southern power that's pushing against the sons of Isaac or Israel. I think that's what you're seeing in Daniel 11. There's been an awful lot of concern and frustration and difficulty with Daniel 11. But the main reason I went back here is to go a little further into this and not try to expound it all. But, in, Ma- in the light of Matthew 24, and people betraying one another, and them killing us, in terms of Matthew 5, I mean, uh, Revelation 6, in the fifth seal, about them killing Christians, in the blood of the saints in Revelation 17 and 18 being conferred upon Mother Babylon, America. Here it says, uh, let's go down to verse 30, end of it. Uh, There will be those who have indignation against the Holy Covenant. Who has the Holy Covenant? The Church of God is the only ones who have been offered the New Covenant in the end time. No one else. Church of God. He shall even return and have intelligence with them that forsake the Holy Covenant. Did we not read in Matthew 24 that we would betray one another and kill one another, turn each other over to the false government that's coming? Those who leave the covenant and turn against their brethren. And arms shall stand on his part, and they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength, and shall take away the daily sacrifice. So here it's talking about people betraying one another at the end, and then the daily sacrifice being taken away, and the abomination set up, which is when you flee to the mountains. And such as do wickedly against the covenant... Shall he corrupt by flatteries, they'll be corrupted, they'll depart, they'll turn on one another. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Who is that? That's the ones who when that's 
daily sacrifice and the abomination occur two verses up, or one verse up, who make it to a place of safety are the ones who will be strong and do exploits, accounted worthy to be protected and do God's work. Won't they, along with the two witnesses, do all kinds of exploits and be strong? Yes. And they that understand among the people shall instruct many. Yet they shall fall by the sword and by flame, by captivity and by spoil many days. Now I would assume that is primarily speaking of that 90% which were left behind. They weren't, they're still people of God, but they weren't accounted worthy. The ones who are protected aren't going to fall by the sword and by flame in captivity, but those who are left behind. The Revelation 12 told us Satan will go out after the remnant of her seed. So some will be corrupted, but some, the ones that truly do know their God, will be strong and do exploits. They that are left behind are going to be pursued by Satan and killed. When they shall fall, they shall be helped with a little help, but many shall cleave to them with flatteries. Some of them of understanding shall fall, to try them and to purge, and to make them white even to the time of the end, because it is yet for a time appointed. So they're going to be left behind. They're going to be helped a little bit by God, to help bring them in all the trouble that is coming to the point of repentance so they can be part of the kingdom of God. Now that's what's going to happen in this country because here it is speaking of a time, time of the end, verse 40, when the king of the south shall push against the king of the north and come against him in a military way. And they will even enter into the glorious land Verse 41. The glorious land is the original land of promise. Right here. You're sitting in it today. They're going to come that far. But out of his hand, even Edom and Moab and the children of Ammon shall escape. Who is in the promised land besides God's people now and more that will follow soon? Essentially the Mormons. And I think... This is another indication that they are Edom, Moab, and Ammon. Well, that's enough of that, but I wanted to show you several places that indicate that Matthew 24 is not talking through its hat. (laughs) That all these things are going to increase, and they are increasing, and then they're going to start killing God's people. And they will begin to betray one another, just as... It says, within the great whore. So it's in this country, prior to the tribulation, and then on through the tribulation, that God's people are going to be hated and some killed. I think that indicates that some death will probably occur before the tribulation really starts. But that's when Satan can go after the 90% that are left behind And they're going to suffer very severe time and trouble before they are killed. And hopefully many will repent and be on fire for God when they see that they've been left in that. And that turning to Him with their whole heart finally 
is what is necessary. Now we're on the cusp of that. You have already been given this information. And you have a chance now to begin to prove yourselves and us as ourselves worthy to escape these things. So that when the temple is built and Jerusalem is built and that abomination is set up, we'll be there. And we will have that opportunity to flee and be protected. Knowing it ahead of time is very important. Do you realize most of the Church of God still thinks they're going to Petra? Or have decided they're not going anywhere, or whatever. But almost none of them know where Zion is, where Jerusalem is, where the Promised Land is. You are blessed above all people. You are blessed above all the church to have foreknowledge of what God is doing. Let us not waste the understanding that we have because the time is now for us. We're the forerunners. Ten percent of the church are coming soon. And they are going to be here to build the temple and build Jerusalem. And we can be among them and be part of them and be helpers to them if we remain faithful and true and obey God and don't accuse each other and be satanic, but instead be godly. Godliness will be protected. Satanic behavior will be destroyed. We're at the gate. It's almost time. All these events in the world are happening as we sit here today. And you are among the most blessed of all people on earth. Be ever thankful, be ever faithful, be ever true.